If you have your Bibles, you can go open them to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Our mission here at Bachelor Creek is making and growing disciples of Jesus. And we believe that that best happens in community. That's why one of our values is we value community. We want to build a community of Jesus followers that are in community with one another. And it doesn't matter if you're skeptical and just checking out the Bible, or like me, you were basically born in the church or somewhere in between. We want to create a community of Jesus followers who at all different levels of faith, all different levels of spiritual maturity are in community with one another. And you know this. The most powerful form of evangelism is Christians one-anothering one another. That is the most powerful evangelism. Because every person on the planet wants to be one-anothered. They want someone to love one another, care for one another, accept one another, carry one another's burdens. Those, those 34 unique one-another commands that we find in the New Testament. It is common to humanity to want to be in community where they are one another. Now, preaching is incredibly important. I don't ever want to minimize the importance of, of preaching, but the most powerful form of evangelism is a bunch of Christians one anothering and loving one another. And if you know anything at all about the first 250 years of the church, that's all they had. The reason the church thrived in those first couple of centuries was that one another factor in the body of Christ. And that's why I have a conviction and it's a, a phrase that I want to introduce to you, that circles are better than rows. Circles are better than rows. Can you guys say that with me? Circles are better than rows. I believe that's true. Now, you might think that's a little ironic because today you're sitting in rows, right? I love rows because I get to preach to rows every single Sunday. And there is something holy, beautiful, and power when the church gathers together like we are right now. So I don't at all want to discredit what happens when we gather together like this. I'm not against rows. But there's something that I've learned. Something can happen in a circle that cannot happen in a row. There's accountability. Someone knows that you're there or not there. Something comes after you and you begin to drift, a sense of belonging. This is where I belong. This is where people know my name. There's a sense of care. And the primary way, listen, the primary way that people are cared for in our large growing church is not through rows, it's through circles. Because circles are where we come together to open up God's word and ask the tough questions. Circles are where you say, I'm struggling. Circles are where you say, I'm here for you. Circles are where you say, do you have any idea what Joel was talking about? Circles are where we open up God's word together and say, wow, I've never heard it that way before. I've never read it that way before. Circles are where we pray for one another. Now, every once in a while, I'll be out in public and I'll meet somebody and they'll say, oh yeah, I visited your church. And I'm always polite and gracious, but what I want to say is, no, you visited our worship service. Like, you didn't really visit our, our church because our church takes place in this facility, but it also takes place uh, all over the community in homes. And I'm glad that you came to our worship service, and I hope you liked it, and I hope that you will come back. But that's not the true essence of our church, because circles are better than rows. A church happens in Tiny Town in Upstreet, 
where kids are gathered right now with an adult leader, a couple of adult leaders, and they're learning about Jesus. Uh, church happens in our student ministry on Sunday mornings and on Sunday evenings when, when middle schoolers and high schoolers sit down with an adult, a couple of adults, and they understand what it means to be a teenager and follow Jesus. Church happens throughout this building, but church happens in your homes and church happens in my home. In fact, if, if we lost our building, if we just lost our facilities, we would not lose our church because the church is one anothering one another. The church is loving one another. The church is growing together, and we want you to grow in a way that never, never, never happens in rows. It can only happen in circles. So while I'm on this, I want to say something to parents real quick. So parents, look up here. Get your kids in one of our small groups and make sure that you have them here every single Sunday, okay? Because here's the thing. We want to partner with you in the most difficult thing that you'll ever do, and that is raising another human being. Like, can you remember when you named your kids? Like, oh, no, I don't want to get this wrong. Like, we got to make sure we get this right. That was the easy part, right? After that, it just got harder. You were raising a human being. And we want to help you raise your human being and instill in them a faith that is an anchor that gets so deep that when they hit middle school and they hit high school, they just won't be able to go too far. Where else in your community is there a group of people who says, let us partner with you and raise your kids and help you navigate the difficulties? We want to do that for you. And here's the cool thing. We do it for free. Okay? We don't even take your tax dollars. All right? We do it absolutely free, but, but it's, it's not free. And the reason we're able to do it is because so many of you understand that what we're doing is so incredibly important, and you give faithfully week after week after week. So, so get your kids in Tiny Town. Get your kids in Upstreet. Get them in a group. And listen, the earlier, the better. The earlier, the better. Because one of the hard things that happens is when someone shows up with their 16-year-old son or daughter and says, hey, I heard that you have a really good youth group. Can, can, can they get involved? And we say, absolutely they can. But it would have worked a lot better if you would have got them here when, when she was six or when he was seven rather than 16 or 17. So get your kid in a group because circles are better than rows. And, and one more thing, parents, you may think this is silly, but I absolutely mean it with all of my heart. And this is really for those of you who are watching online and those of you who are maybe listening to this on the radio. But don't take your kids to a church that teaches them to hate church, okay? Don't take your kids to a church that teaches them to hate church. Even if all your friends go there, even if it's the church you grew up in, even if it's the denomination that you grew up in, even if it's the closest one to your house or you love the preacher, don't take your kids to a church that teaches them to hate church because when they get older, they will apply what your church taught them. And if you're an adult and you grew up in a church that taught you to hate church, then guess what you can do? Then you can partner with us and you can volunteer here while we teach a new generation of children and middle schoolers that the local church is the hope of the world. And if you grew up and have a tough time and you were bumped out of church and you kind of drifted away from church, well, you have an opportunity to come and help us create a new mindset for kids and students who are learning that Jesus really is their Savior, that the church is the body of Christ, 
And it's not something to resist every single Sunday morning, but it's something to look forward to. Because circles are better than rows, and what happens in a circle cannot happen any other way. Now, circles aren't just a kid thing, and circles just aren't a student thing. Circles are an everybody thing. Circles are an adult thing. Circles are for Christians. Circles are even for skeptical people because something that we've all experienced as an adult is reflected in the writings of Solomon. Scripture tells us that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote a couple of books that were collected by the Jews into what we have as the Old Testament. And he wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes something that when we read it together, you're going to go, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. It's a little bit of common sense, but it's the kind of common sense that, that isn't all that common sometimes because we get so busy. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he makes an observation on relationships that goes right to the heart of the issue when we think about the importance of being connected in a small group. And, and the reason why some of you are not in the group is we, we all have the, the same reasons, right? We're too busy. My wife and I schedule. They, they don't match up. The kids are to circles a priority in our lives. Understand the importance of the truth that Solomon wrote when he penned these words in Ecclesiastes 4. And with your Bible turned there, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Beginning in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. So Solomon begins in this passage, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor, which means I think like when you wash your car, it's better to get somebody to help you. I think that's kind of what Solomon has in mind here. And then he goes on and he gets around the, the tension in this idea. And he says this, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. He says two are better than one because if, if one falls down or they both fall down, they can help each other up or the one can help the other up. But then he, he takes us to the reason that this is so important for us. He says, but pity, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen someone fall in their marriage? Have you ever seen someone fall financially and they didn't have anybody to help them up? Have you ever seen someone who had a serious illness in their family or a serious illness between a husband or a wife or one of their kids and there was really no one other than family to help them up? Have you ever seen someone fall morally and, and a husband's pleading for help or a wife is pleading for help and there's no one there other than family to help them up? So my question for you is, if you were to face a situation like that, who feels free to ask, are you okay, and won't accept I'm fine as an answer? Who in your life, or really more importantly, is there a group of people in your life right now, if they were to ask you, are you okay, won't accept I'm fine as an answer because they know that there's something going on? 
Is there anybody, is, is there a group of people in your life that if you were to, to fall in your marriage financially, something with, with your kids is already in place to help you because Solomon says, pity the individual. Pity the individual who falls, okay? No fault of their own, but, but something goes wrong in their life. They fall and there's no one to help them up. Pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. And then he continues in verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So here Solomon kind of changes the imagery. He goes from somebody who just falls down to someone who's overpowered. Now, in our culture, this word overpowered, um, we, we might put a, a different word there. It's, a, it's another word that starts with over. Anybody want to take a guess? Overwhelmed? So, though one may be overwhelmed, two can defend themselves. So at some point in your life, at some point in my life, because of the season that we're in, because of, uh, of things that we don't anticipate, we will feel overwhelmed. And Solomon says, when you feel overwhelmed, you will respond to the overwhelming circumstances in your life better if there is someone that you can walk with through those circumstances. Now, you didn't even need me to tell you that. You already knew that. You knew that. But at some point, we are all going to feel overwhelmed. And then he says something that, that brings some really powerful imagery. He says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then he makes a statement that you've probably heard before. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And I can tell you, I have been in several small groups. My wife and I, we, we've always been in a small group. And there's something I've observed. I've been in small groups with plenty of brokenhearted people. In fact, every small group that, that I've ever been in, there have been people who have had broken hearts. But I've never met anyone in community whose broken heart left them broken. I've never met anyone really in authentic community whose broken heart resulted in them being broken down. And what Solomon alludes to here is simply this. At some point in our life, we all need some somebodies, okay? And what we've observed in our lives, uh, at some point along the way, we all need some somebodies because of decisions that we've made, because of some decisions maybe that other people have made, because of some things that, that just happened in life. And, and he says, I, I pity. I think all of us have been there. I, I pity the person that when they fall, there's no one to help them up. So consequently, small groups are, are not just something that we do as a church program, okay? It's not just an add-on. My, my conviction is that circles really are better than rows. And circles are better than rows for each one of us individually. Circles have the potential to keep you from falling or keep you from being overpowered in the first place. That, that being in a circle has the potential to keep you from being overpowered or being overwhelmed in the first place. And for this reason, circles or small groups are actually preventative. In other words, somebody can see what you can't see. Somebody can see what you can't see. Or to put it another way, someone can see it coming, right? You say, what's it? That's the point. You can't see it, right? I mean, my guess is you have sat in groups with, with a lot of couples and 
sometimes you, you'll, you'll interact with one of the couples and you start to think to yourself, uh-oh, uh-oh. Like you hear the way that they talk about disciplining their, their 13-year-old daughter and you're thinking, uh-oh, right? Because you can see it coming, but, but they can't. They can't see it, but you can. And, and see, in groups, someone can always see it coming. Now, my guess is you've been at restaurants and, and you've listened to couples talk before and you've thought to yourself, uh-oh, right? Or, or you, you've, been, uh, you've been at the store and, and you've heard a dad talking to their teenage daughter and you're thinking, uh-oh, but you're not in a circle with them, right? In community, a small group can be extraordinarily preventative because someone can see what you can't see and you can see what someone else can't see. And where else is there a life-on-life match to where people can say, hey, I need to bring something up. I noticed this, or I noticed that. And because we're in a circle, you have already given me permission to speak to what I see. Now, I want to say something to our our, our singles. And we have a a lot of singles in our church, college students, young professionals, older singles. And we love having singles in our church. So, So don't be offended by this, okay? But who really needs this is single people. And here's why. The great thing about being single is when there's something you don't like, you just get a new roommate or a new job or you just move to a new city. But who tells a single person, hey, I see something coming? Because what you know as a married person, if you're married, is that there's no such thing as marriage problems. There's just problems that people have that they bring into marriage, right? And they had those problems the whole time but you don't have to deal with them as a single person. You can blame your roommate or your boss or, you know, it's that stupid boyfriend or that stupid girlfriend. You know, it, it's, it's everybody else, it's somebody else's fault. Single people don't have to deal with single people problems until they get married. And then they think, I've got a marriage problem. No, you drag this one in here with you. We all did. I'm not being critical. But you see, this is the power of small groups. Groups are preventative, especially with men and women entering this season of life. There's someone who can say, I think I see something that you potentially don't see. But here's the side of it, the other side of it, because a lot of us are married. Every marriage needs some support now to avoid the need for life support later. Isn't that true? Every marriage My marriage, your marriage, needs some support now to avoid the need for life support later. In this way, small groups are preventative. Community is preventative. There are things that that you will never have to face. There are things that that you may never have to feel. There are problems that, that you will be better equipped to deal with if you are in a circle of people opening up God's word together taking some of the big concepts that we're talking about in church and talking about how they apply at work and talking about how they apply in your marriage, talking about how they apply to to this particular season of your life in parenting, how they apply to someone who's dating and trying to navigate the morality of a culture that just doesn't seem to have a whole lot of morality. Another way that small groups are preventative is in the sense that it keeps kids from having to experience things as adults that perhaps we experienced that we would not have had to experience if we had had someone in our life when we were younger to prevent it. Because when I think about what the church prevented for me, 
And I want you to think about this. If you grew up in the church, think about this. If everything that you learned from the church, if all of those relationships that impacted you from the church, if all of those camps and those retreats and those VBSs, if all of those quiet times and all those devotions, if all of that was immediately and suddenly just sucked out of your life and all of the influence of the local church evaporated, I know what a mess I would be. I'd be a wreck. And so the church saved me, not because I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore. The church saved me from having to sink deep in sin far from the peaceful shore. It prevented that. And there are things that can happen in circles that just can't happen any other way. And they are preventative. Now, the problem with preventative is you don't exactly know what you prevented, right? Like how many car accidents have you not been in because you're a good driver? You have no idea. Now, here's something to think about, and this is so cool to me. In our church, we have over 200 elementary middle school, and high school students combined, okay? So about 200 students that are actually in small groups led by adults meeting each week. Now here's the question, and I know that there's no answer, but I want you just to think about the significance of this, okay? Do you know how many kids won't drop out of school because of the influence of their small group leader? Do you know how many of these middle school and high school students will not drink and drive because of the influence of a small group leader? Do you know how many of those kids won't have a stint in rehab because of the influence of a small group leader? Do you know how many of those students will not mess around with illegal drugs because of the influence of a small group leader? Do you know how many of these young ladies will not have to, to have an unwanted pregnancy because of the influence of a small group leader? And the answer is, we have no idea. We have no idea. But just think about the significance of having someone partnering with parents and pouring into elementary, middle school, and high school students. The numbers are probably staggering. And you can see that small groups are absolutely preventative. Uh, The last thing I want to say is simply this. If people wait until they need it, they won't have it. And the same is true for for all of us in the adult world too. But here's the tricky part. Group life is a bit like retirement savings. If you wait, you won't have it when you need it. If you wait, you won't have it when you need it. By far the most difficult calls that we receive at the church are when there's a tragedy in someone's family or marriage or there's a physical illness or, or maybe one of the kids kind of kind of goes off into prodigal world. And the parents call us, the families call us, a husband calls us, a wife calls us, and they say, can the church help? Can the church help? Can the church help? And so the first question that I, that I inquire is, are they in a group? Is she in a group? Is he in a group? And 90% of the time, the answer is no. Because otherwise, they wouldn't be calling the church. Because the church is not the administrative assistant in the front office. Now listen, we absolutely welcome all of those calls. We do. But, but here's the problem. The church can express compassion and concern immediately. But what you need in those moments is community, not simply concern and compassion. You need community 
And community takes time. That's why it's like retirement savings. When you need it, if you haven't developed it along the way, it won't be there for you. It is steady deposits over time. Steady deposits over time. Which means, let's just be completely real here, okay? It's Tuesday night or it's Wednesday night and it's time for small group. We got all this stuff going on, right? It's been a long day. The kids got stuff going on. I'm tired. They're in a bad mood, right? And you don't want to go. You got five couples in your group, and one of the couples has already said that they can't make it. And you're thinking, well, if, if another couple or two cancel, then, then maybe we can just cancel a group meeting tonight, right? Now, is there anyone bold enough to admit that they've ever felt that way? Okay. I think there's something in all of us that, that feels a little bit relieved when we don't have to meet. And here's part of the reason why. Because there have probably been very, very few group meetings where you walked out going, oh my goodness, I am changed. Like, I met Jesus tonight. I came in and I was down here, but I left and I'm all the way out up here, man. I'm, all, I'm just on a spiritual high right now. It's steady deposits over time that make all the difference. And that's why when you miss one, you don't miss anything. And when you show up, you don't gain anything that you can measure. But here's the problem. If we don't have it when we need it, you can't get it. And the problem with some of the folks in our church, and and this is why I'm so passionate about small groups, is by the time that a 45-year-old man needs it, if he doesn't have it, it's going to be hard for him to get it. And me calling him up, or our staff calling him up and saying, hey, your wife called the church and, hello? Hello? It's over. Because no one gets into the personal parts of our life except the people that we have personal relationships with. It's like retirement savings. If you don't have it when you need it, it's too late to get it. And so we want every single one of you to be in a group to have a group of people so that if and when you fall, there will be someone to pick you up. And if and when you find yourself overwhelmed with life, there will be somebody to walk with you through those tough times. Now, this is super personal to me and to Tara. And without going into all the details, you just just can know that, that we've had some challenges over the years. We've had a couple of really tough family situations that we had to work through. And I hate to remain so vague, but, but we led a, a college-age small group in Texas. And, and that group, they, they knew everything that was going on. And I'm telling you, I don't know. I don't know what we would have done without our small group. There was one time when, when Wednesday night rolled around and the group showed up. And they just listened to me talk about what was going on. And suddenly I realized, I've just talked for the last 20 minutes. Like, I'm that person. I'm that person that I can't stand in small group, Right? It's like when you ask, does anyone have a prayer request? You're like, oh no, Nancy's got a prayer request. Here we go. You know, it's like somebody call me, the babysitter call me, somebody get me out of here, right? We've been there before. And I was talking and talking and talking and I realized, you know what, I'm going to keep on talking. And you know what, they were so gracious. They leaned in and they were so patient with me. They're so patient with us. And in the midst of all the chaos that was going on inside and out, our small group gatherings on Wednesday nights were therapeutic. It gave us the ability and stability to stand at a time when it was hard to stand. 
And, and I don't know what would have happened had I not been in community. I guess we would have gotten through and we would have trudged along. But, but here's what I'm telling you. Here's the point. They were already there, so they were already there for us. They were already there, so they were already there for us. If they had not already been there, they would not already been there for us. And that, again, that's why it's a little bit like retirement savings. It better be there when you need it. You never know when you're going to need it. And I'm telling you, we have a great church. We have a great church. And the staff, our elders, we will be there for you. We will show up at the hospital. We will deliver food to your home, but we may have to look up the address because we may not know where you live. And we will do our very best to be the church for you. But we will never, ever on our best day be as good as the circle that you have the opportunity to get involved with. People who know your name, they know your kids' names, they know where you went to school, they know where your parents live, they know what you're dealing with, and who can show up and be a friend and be the hands and feet of Jesus to you. The church, you know, the, the office church, the, the staff church will never be that good. Because we have the opportunity to be in circles, because circles are better than rows. So, so this is a big deal, and here's the thing. I, I've said this. I love Rose. I love speaking to Rose. I love it when we come together like this. Please don't hear me say anything differently. But I want you to be in a circle so that when you fall, there will be someone to pick you up. And better yet, perhaps you won't have to fall because someone will see it coming and point it out. Now, if my story isn't convincing, if the video we showed a couple weeks ago of Kevin and Amber Bretzman and their group, if that isn't convincing. I just want you to think about your story for a minute, okay? Think about the difference it might have made in your growing up years. If your father had been in a men's group with a bunch of men who could see it coming and they pointed it out before it tore apart your family. Think about how different your life might have been growing up if your parents had been in a small group. And when they hit that bump that ultimately drove them apart, there had been a group of people in other words, they weren't just going to church because a lot of your parents, their marriages ended in divorce. And many of them, they went to church. They sat in rows, they sang the songs, they put a few dollars in the offering plate. But imagine if they had been in actual, authentic community. And when your mom kind of you know, started spinning out in her deal or when your dad kind of started spinning out in his deal, there were a group of men and a group of women who said, no, we're not gonna let you go. You're not getting away that easy. We will not let you fall and stay down. You may be overwhelmed, but we are here for you. You may be broken on the inside, but we're not going to leave you on the side of the road. Imagine how different your life would be if your parents had experienced the kind of community that we're talking about, that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes 4. So if you're married and have kids, or you ever hope to be married, ever hope to have kids, then why wouldn't you give that gift to the next generation? What a difference it could have made in your life right now. Again, circles are better than rows. Circles are what? Better than rows. Let's pray together. God, you have given us the church, and the church is more than a building churches, the relationships, the people that we are invested in, that are invested in us. 
And God, you have designed us, you have created us for community. That our relationship with you is personal, but it's not private. It is communal. And God, we go through life best when we have relationships with one another. God, we thank you for the body of Christ. And God, my prayer is that if, there, if there's anyone who's just kind of wandering on their own, kind of off like a lone ranger, God, would, would they realize today that two are better than one? That if one falls down, the other can help them up. God, that's the way you designed it for us to be. God, we really do need each other. Help us to realize that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.